Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Wednesday afternoon, May 11th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. The war in Ukraine is only adding to pre-existing problems in the global supply chain. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the government has released the Consumer Price Index for April, and it reflects once again inflation levels not seen in four decades. We're joined by Paul Christopher, head of global market strategy at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute based in St. Louis. Paul, thank you for joining us this afternoon. 8.3%. That is the year-over-year increase compared to April of of 2021. That is more than analysts had expected, but that is lower than the month-over-month increase in March. So if you look at this on kind of a, on a bar graph basis, we might have crested as far as peak inflation is concerned. Or do you believe in that assessment? Uh, yeah, no, the, the, the numbers are what they are, Rob, but, but uh, we would focus less on the peaking part of it and more on the stickiness part of it. In other words, think about how inflation and food and energy is now seeping into other places where we do business, uh, you know, like uh, restaurants, for example, or energy prices going up, increasing the price of clothing or rent increases as people have to pay more for building supplies. So inflation is becoming more persistent and it's also becoming more prevalent and sticky. Uh, So that's what we're really watching. And uh, looking at some of the uh, year-over-year increases in certain categories, uh, gas, of course, is the the, the real number, 44% compared to a year ago. But another category that really took off, no pun intended, in the month of April is airline fares. Right. So airlines are taking advantage of the uh, the general unlocking and coming out of our homes and getting back to a normal pre-COVID sort of summer travel uh, wave. Uh, so that's stronger demand. And at the same time, jet fuel going up in price. And both of those are going to be a one-two punch for higher airline fares. And all of this, is this entirely driven by Russia invading Ukraine, or is this still a function of uh, COVID stimulus and uh, supply chain issues and all of the problems that were kind of manifesting themselves a year ago? Yeah, your surmise is exactly right, Rob. It's not just the, the problem in Ukraine, although that aggravates it. But, you know, even here in this country, we're producing less oil. And a lot of that has to do with with shareholders who are telling their companies, look, it's expensive to buy sand. It's expensive to get drilling services. It's expensive to buy steel and iron for the drilling. So let's just cool it for a while. 
uh, no pun intended, and, and let's just drill less. So you're getting less production from the U.S. OPEC is still uh, holding the taps uh, pretty pretty well tight, uh, tightly shut, and, uh, and then you get uh, Russian oil that might be going offline. So all of these combine and and, uh, and conspire to give us higher gas prices. Uh, with all of these external factors, you know, obviously the Fed can only control can can only control what it can control. Um, higher interest rates, how will that uh, cool off the economy and bring some of these numbers down? Especially since a lot of these things are are caused by events overseas. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, the, what the what we have to understand, what investors need to remember is that the Fed really is going to be working on the spending portion of the inflation driver. So people wanting to get out there and buy airplane tickets or new cars, the Fed is going to raise borrowing costs, and that's going to make it harder to to do some of these things and to borrow money and to spend. But at the same time, you've got these supply restrictions. And don't forget China, with about 300 million people, almost the population of the U.S., still under COVID lockdown. And that's going to make it hard for them to ship to us and to the rest of the world. So these goods and these supply disruptions are going to continue. The Fed cannot do anything about that. And what's likely to happen is that the economy slows faster than inflation slows because the Fed's going to have a more direct impact on spending and demand than it's going to be able to have on Chinese lockdowns in the war in Ukraine. Paul Christopher, head of global market strategy at Wells Fargo Investment Institute based in St. Louis. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Supply chain issues continue to impact multiple industries, causing price hikes and shortages. Let's get an update on what's happening now and what can be done to mitigate problems in the future from Abe Eshkenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management based in Chicago. Abe, thanks for joining us today. Is this the end of the global supply and sourcing era that kind of came into place in the 90s, or is this the beginning of a new era of supply chain management? Uh, I think we're probably taking a look at both, and I think it depends on the type of commodities or products that you're talking about. Um, You were referring to our just-in-time supply chains prior to the pandemic, where most consumers expected high-variety, low-cost, rapid delivery. That's still the expectation for most consumers today. However, the supply chain challenges, whether we're talking about the pandemic or the Suez Canal blockage or China's locking down their ports right now, those are having an effect. And then when you extend out the disruptions into the local uh, supply and inventories, you're seeing a great disruption of where the products need to be and where they are today in the containers. We've got a mismatch between where the products should be and the supply and demand right now. We're out of balance and a lot of the products and services that we're uh, counting on as consumers and patients alike. What are some of the lessons that have been learned so far? I mean, are there are obviously more redundancies will be built into the supply chain and uh, maybe supplies will go from uh, three to four weeks to three to four months. How do you fix that, though? Is it more onshoring? Is it building in more redundancy? Uh, what are some of the ways of applying the lessons of 2021 and 2022? Yeah, you brought up a couple of options that organizations have, but we need to take a look at whether those are short-term or long-term resolutions to the issues that we're facing. A number of these are systemic issues that we are facing, the most significant of which is the visibility and transparency into their supply chains for a lot of organizations, where they may have had visibility into their primary supplier, but not into their extended supply chain. So that caught us off guard. Additionally, we were not prepared for the demand 
surges or the shifts that occurred in the beginning of the pandemic. We had a number of uh, demand surges, as we saw for paper or PPEs, as well as demand shift away from a maybe industrial or commercial or a school-based setting for food into a home-based environment. So that required a reconfiguration of the manufacturing process production for the, you know, the new demand. But coming into the current situation, we're seeing a significant increase in demand while we're facing higher wages, fuel costs, logistics issues, not even to mention the pandemic and the lockdowns in China right now. This is disruptions on top of disruptions. But going back to your original questions, will consumers change their buying behavior and expecting rapid delivery, high variety and low cost? I'm not sure that's going to change that much. Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association of Supply Chain Management. We could talk for four hours about this particular issue. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, you may not need a college degree to land a quality job. Companies are finding it difficult to fill vacant positions, and it's pushing a lot of them to no longer require a college degree for many roles. Let's learn more from Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert with Robert Half, based in Chicago. Michelle, thanks for joining us today. What are some of the industries and sectors that are uh, dialing back on that college degree requirement? Well, I would definitely say right now today, the IT industry is having a real struggle finding enough college degree candidates with unemployment rates sitting at 2% or less than 2% in some cases for recent college grads. Um, Companies are very, very open now to looking at any and all candidates based on their skills and or competencies. There are 5 million more job openings than there are unemployed people in this country. Uh, if you are graduating from college, it uh, used to be there was some uh, talk about the rather lukewarm job market for college graduates. Uh, what's it like for the class of 2022? They've got multiple, multiple options. Probably for every graduate coming out the door, they have somewhere between three and four job options available. So if you are an employer, you need to be competitive and ready to move pretty fast because they've got lots of options at hand. And then what if you are a high school graduate and uh, the cost of college, the financial commitment, the possibility of student loans is uh, making you blanch about uh, going to college? And what, 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 what are your options if you want to just go out there into the job market right now? Yeah, you definitely can sell yourself today based on motivation, skill, and any and all experience. Um, You know, if you have any certifications at hand, especially in the IT industry, there are lots of organizations like Microsoft, Google, et cetera, that are offering certifications. You want to use all of that to your advantage because, um, you know, client employers don't have many choices and they are very open. Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert with Robert Half. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. This is Chicago's all news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A deadly crash causes a suspension of service on a West Suburban commuter train line. Chicago's police superintendent discusses the latest series of shootings in the city. In personal finance Wednesday, ways to reduce the hit from rising interest rates. Locally headquartered Mondelez is planning to sell off part of its gum business. WBBM business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down. 
down 161 points. The Nasdaq is down 251. The S&P 500 is down 38. WBBM Sports, the White Sox game against the Cleveland Guardians at Guaranteed Rate Field, postponed today because of multiple positive COVID-19 tests in the Guardians organization. AccuWeather says intervals of clouds and sunshine, hot and humid, a high today near 90, cooler at the lakefront. We have 87 degrees right now in Chicago at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, a female passenger on a Metra BNSF train was killed this morning after a crash involving a semi-trailer in Clarendon Hills. Krish Rangaswamy was in the area, and when watched it happen, he tells CBS2, Ringing of the whistle, and then a huge noise. What did it sound like? It, it sounded... To me, the first thing that occurred to me was the train had hit something. Service on the BNSF line is suspended indefinitely. That's trains between Union Station and Aurora, and riders are being urged to find alternate transportation for the afternoon commute. The National Transportation Safety Board is investigating the incident, which happened around 8 o'clock this morning at Prospect Avenue in Clarendon Hills. We're learning more about two separate shootings in Chicago yesterday that left one person dead, ten others wounded. Superintendent David Brown says gunfire in the back of the yards neighborhood stems from the release of a high-ranking gang member in March. Nearly a month later, uh, April 19th, his brother is murdered, believed by a member of the rival gang. And since April, uh, we've seen escalating violence between the two gang members. One person died in that incident at 48th and Ada. The second shooting, a drive-by in Jackson Park, as a female rapper was live-streaming the making of a video. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets have turned into negative territory. We're joined by Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager of Smart Portfolios based in San Diego. The website macrotides.com. Jim, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Uh, markets did start the day on a positive note. They have now turn negative. Is this a case of uh, investors uh, digesting that CPI print from earlier this morning? Absolutely. There were high expectations, Rob, that the CPI would drop, and it did in fact drop, maybe not as quite as much as uh, people had estimated. But the, nonetheless, that has to be looked at good news after many months of higher and higher inflation reports. The one thing I would note, is when the market goes down in the face of bad news, you understand that. When the market goes up in the face of good news, that makes sense too. But when a market fails to rally in what is positive news, that's a big warning sign, in my opinion, that the internal strength of the market is very weak. And obviously it has been weak. But to me, if the market takes out yesterday's low on the S&P, which was 39.58, there could be a trap door underneath the market because the market failed to rally in what was obviously at least some good news. Well, looking at uh, financial Twitter leading up to the CPI report this morning, uh, there was some belief by some analysts that uh, the inflation or the inflation figure would be substantially lower uh, on a year on a year over year basis, uh, just because the price of used cars appeared to be going down. And then uh, you saw a rally in the price of gas and the rally in the price of airline tickets that kind of uh, wiped out any softening that was taking place in the other drivers of inflation earlier this year. Good point. And really what it underscores, Rob, is that the inflation that we're dealing with isn't just concentrated in a few segments like last year used cars. 
it has broadened out to you know include many other sectors, which again makes it more difficult for inflation to recede quickly. And my take has been is, yes, we are going to see inflation come down during the second quarter. But the reality is it's not going to change the Fed's uh, direction and follow through on monetary policy. And I think that's maybe one of the points that came through today. Yeah, inflation downtick, but the Fed isn't going to change course. And I think that's the big issue. The economy is going to slow. The stock market reacted initially this year to higher interest rates. PEs got compressed. My take has been is that we're going to see another compression of PE ratios due to earnings estimates being cut. And I think that's the next hurdle for the market. It just seems like this is a, a, a looking glass version or an upside down version of the recovery from 2008, where uh, it was a slow recovery. GDP was slow to recover. Uh, employment was slow to recover. And in now looking back, it was done by design to prevent what we're dealing with right now. And instead of looking at an agonizingly slow growth in employment on a month over month basis, now it's agonizing over the inflation chart on a month over month basis. And you're 100% right. I mean, the difference was in 2008, as bad as that was, the fiscal response was far more muted than this last response, which amounted to about 30% of GDP. And again, one of the things I'd like to say is that, you know, some people want to point to one issue or another as to why we have such high inflation. My experience has been is when you have a big problem, it is usually as a result of five or six factors, not one. So did the additional spending, you know, last year, $1.9 trillion in March of 2021, the American Rescue, was it a contributing factor? Yeah, but there's five or six other things that I could point to that have also kind of conspired to, you know, create inflation at a 40-year high. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager, Smart Portfolios, based in San Diego. The website, macrotides.com. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, cushioning the blow from higher interest rates. The best daily deal in Chicago, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Interest rates continue to rise, impacting investments in bank accounts. Let's get some advice from Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group at Inverness and Downers Grove. Craig, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Looking at the chart of interest rate hikes over the last 70 years or so, um, higher interest rates uh, may be kind of a, a, a generational stranger to a lot of people, because if you look back over the last 20 years, uh, from 2001 onward, uh, the, there have only been two times in the last two decades when we've had to deal with non-zero interest rates, 2005 to 2009, and then again from uh, 2018 until 2020. So uh, higher interest rates are kind of a, a stranger to a lot of people. No, it's absolutely a misnomer. After trending lower for decades upon decades, you're right. I mean, these this rising rate environment, which isn't going to abate anytime soon, clearly has implications not just for investors, but it has implications for consumers. And we need to be looking and paying attention to both sides of that trade. Well, on the on the consumer side, let's begin with the thing that uh, will impact everybody with a bank account. Uh, what does this mean uh, for those of us who have savings and checking accounts? every month. 
Well, the first thing I remind everybody is, you know, if you're daydreaming about 3% money markets and 5% CD rates, we're not getting there anytime soon. The banks are going to be very slow and very stubborn in raising those deposit rates because the banks love to make money on something called NIM, net interest margin. But now is a great opportunity for savers to really start shopping and taking a look. Should you keep the money in the bank? Should you use an online bank that might have a higher yield in its money market, but I think people should be careful. They don't want to lock in CD rates for a longer period of time. I encourage savers to stay liquid or ladder money markets and CDs to take advantage of these rising rates. And obviously with uh, credit cards, you know, pay off those balances as much as possible so you're not uh, stung by uh, much higher compounding interest. Well, I think, you know, that is should be obvious to everybody, almost like it should have been obvious that it was a great time to refinance your home in 2020 and 2021. But I worry that the message maybe just fell on deaf ears and people were complacent. So let me shout from the mountaintop right now on WBBM and suggest to everybody that if you have credit card balances, and most of America does, you need to pay attention. First, get awareness. What is your APR today? One once you understand your annual percentage rate, what can you do to find a friendlier card, a friendlier line of credit? If you have a mortgage, it is still not too late to refinance. You don't want to be tripped up and be stuck at five and a half, five and three quarters in the future. The golden goose is gone, but there are steps that people can take with their credit balances to start locking in lower rates. And of course, pay down that debt so you can focus on your savings and your investing while prices are low. And then uh, I-bonds. I thought this was interesting, uh, not only because uh, a, a, a savings bond that I got for my 10th birthday matured not too long ago, and uh, that was a nice little chunk of cash I didn't know was uh, coming my way. Um, what, how can you make uh, these Series I savings bonds work for you? They have been resurrected. There are many people in the 70s, 80s, and 90s that are used to Series E and sub Series E savings bonds. That's not what we're talking about, Rob. You nailed it on the head. A Series I savings bond, the I stands for inflation. So a Series I savings bond earns interest tied to the rate of inflation. And the annual percentage rate on Series I savings bonds as of May 1st is a guaranteed 9.6%. Rob, when was the last time you saw a 9.62% APR on a savings bond? Well, the more important question, Craig, uh, can they fit in the birthday card? (laughs) (laughs) There are no more paper bonds. If you want to participate in Series I savings bonds, you need to do those direct through a website called treasurydirect.gov. That's treasurydirect.gov. And I encourage savers of all shapes and sizes to take a look at the unique opportunity that exists in Series I savings bonds today. Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Thanks for joining us this afternoon and join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, locally based Mondelez is saying goodbye to gum. 
loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Chicago headquartered snack maker Mondelez is selling off a big part of its gum business. Let's learn more from Ali Marotti, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Ali, thanks for joining us this afternoon. It sounds like the pandemic did a number on the gum business. How did it impact uh, our, our consumption of chewing gum? Yeah, so similarly to makeup, like lipstick, people were not chewing gum as much during the pandemic because they were either wearing their mask or not going out of the house and didn't have to worry if they had bad breath. Um, So interestingly, you know, Mondelez said last year that the chewing gum business was struggling to recover, even as people were starting to go back out into the world. So they had been considering um, selling off their gum brand really for more than a year. And uh, what what is the process of finding a buyer uh, in this particular this particular type of transaction? Is there somebody uh, ready and willing to swoop in and take these brands? That's a great question. I haven't said if there is or not. I would imagine that um, they probably have some folks in mind, some big businesses in mind that could buy it. We should also point out too that what they're selling is. Trident, Dentine, their other chewing gum business, but that is in developed markets. Um, they're keeping that business in emerging markets, and that's just because there's a lot more growth in emerging markets around the world. They're also selling off their Hall of Cough Drop brand, and that would be globally. Together, all of that equals about $920 million in sales. And then uh, some of these, uh, is it just strictly a case of uh, more people are working from home and there is uh, less of a concern about bad breath, or are there just simply other ways of freshening your breath before going into uh, social situations and you no longer have to brush your breath clean with dentine? That's a great question. You know, I'm not exactly sure the answer to that. I think it's mainly just the consumers changing their habits one way or the other. I think the other thing that's important for Mondelez here, too, is that they want to focus on their chocolate and biscuits business. You know, this is the maker of Oreo, which is a huge business around the world, in the U.S. especially. So they kind of want to double down on that. And then a sale of these businesses will kind of help bring in money to typically when a company does this, they can pay down debt. They can, you know, fuel investment and growth of other brands they have. It kind of opens up a lot of doors for them. Ali Marotti, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMnewsradio.com and the Odyssey app. 